listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tanil. Tanil, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started the podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel. Our houses are always Airbnb ready, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this, are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences. Greta Small is Australia's top female alpine skier. This will be her third Winter Olympics, which is quite the feat considering she's had five knee surgeries, including three reconstructions. We talk about the Blue Ribbon Alpine Skiing Event, The Downhill, where she is just a small town country girl competing against generations of European downhill skiers and how she's right amongst them skiing 3.8 kilometres in 1.4 seconds, pulling three Gs and letting the skis do the work. Have a listen to learn how at the young age of 12, she put her dreams into motion. Hi, Greta. How are you today? Hi, guys. We're pretty excited to have you, and I really want to know what it was like growing up in Wangaratta, Victoria, Australia. Yeah, so I was born in Wangaratta, born and bred in northeast Victoria, um, grew up between Dad's house in Punka, just outside of Bright, and Aubrey with Mum. So, yeah, it was an interesting time and a beautiful part of the world to, to get into skiing and, and be active and enjoy the outdoors. Definitely. Right amongst it, though, right at the bottom of the Victorian Alps. How amazing. Bright is a beautiful town. It's one of my favourites. I always say that. <laughs> Did you feel the earthquake the other day? Funnily enough, I didn't. I was on the chairlift at Paul's Creek and I went, oh, gee, it's a bit windy all of a sudden. The trees are moving. But, no, so I didn't I didn't get to feel it at all. Where did you grow up skiing? Which resort? Was it Hotham only? Or- um, so my parents actually started me skiing at Mount Buffalo way back when that was, that was a resort because that was only about half an hour drive from our house. So, yeah, when I was two years old, my parents would take me up there in the afternoons in springtime and have a bit of snow play, get me on the on the skis and running around. So, yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful place to start. Were your mum and dad big skiers themselves? So my mum raced amateur um, in Australia. So both my parents were heavily involved in, in up in the lodges and in the Mount Hotham Race Club. Um, so that's kind of how how I got into it. But both of them didn't start skiing until they were in their late late twenties. Mm. And when did they? When did your parents see that you had a talent for skiing, or or were you good at other sports as well? Were you like a sporty kid? I definitely was not a sporty kid. I, <laughs> I was the opposite of being. I mean, look, I. I wasn't unactive. I mean, I tried every single, you know, I tried tennis, I tried golf. I actually was super into dancing and gymnastics. So I did quite a lot of that growing up and I was really into music. So I actually did a lot of piano and violin growing up. Wow. Um, Yeah, it was more sort of for me that I'd always skied as a family um, for fun and, you know, as a recreation, you know, for one week a year, we'd go up to the lodge and it'd be a chance to, you know, be together as a family. And and for that, I never loved all these other activities as much as I loved skiing. That comes down to that thing that we talk about, whether the sport chooses you. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I the st- the skiing definitely chose me. It wasn't there were no dreams of becoming an athlete or an Olympian. It was purely started for my love of skiing. I love it. So you with your gymnastics background, you didn't go into aerials, you went to alpine skiing. Like that's oh. Oh God, I wouldn't say too much of a gymnastics background, not past <laughs> level level two, level two gymnastics. I, would say. I um I enjoyed it and it's a it's a great foundation for for any kid to start and you know to learn the basics of strength and understanding how your body moves and stuff. So I enjoyed going to the gym and that, but I never, you know, took it seriously as a as a sport. And so that, yeah, when I say that I wasn't a super sporty kid, you know, I never won any any competitions at school and I was never first picked on any sports team, but I definitely wasn't unactive. You know, I had a go at everything and put myself out there. I had a go and I tried and I think that's the most important thing. I love that. How big was your school? went to school at Scott's in Albury. Okay. Until year year four and then um, from year four, I that's when I decided to pursue skiing. So I left and went to distance distance education after that so I could live overseas and, and and ski and train. So what I've learned recently about distance education is you can't just say I don't mind just a bit of skiing, I might do distance ed. You've actually got to show a talent for something. Is that right back even back then? Is that like you have to get it signed off that you are identified as talented? Oh I I can't remember that back in 2006 I was yeah I was pretty I was 12 years old, so my mum... Big decision at 12. Yeah, did all that. Um, Look, I mean, there was always the the thing at any chance, you know. I mean, I was still doing the Australian, you know, I was going to public school essentially and getting all public school work and everything. So at any point I could still go back to school and a lot of the kids in my class at the time, caravanners, so a lot of people, you know, 12 years old and that would take their kids out of school for a term or six months or a year and backpack and caravan around Australia. So a lot of kids in in that year six, year five bracket in primary school were, that's what they were doing or they were on rural properties out, you know, radio of the school of the air. That is so interesting, far out. And then was the ski program part of your school then? No. So I went to... Funnily enough, my mum was originally from Perth, so I went to the Western Australian Distance Education School over in Perth because at the time, yeah, my parents looked into it and because Western Australia had such a large caravanning and school of the air for primary school at the time for year five and six, they had the best already established program online and had a really large high school with quite a number of um, students and um, ballet dancers and tennis people that were also doing that. Um, so yeah, they chose to put me into that, and mm. it was definitely a big commitment from my mum. You know, obviously having to be <laughs> on my back about about schoolwork and stuff. And you know, I remember times that I couldn't I couldn't go. I was over in Austria on summer camp, and I got a C in a science test, and I couldn't go skiing for the next three days until my next test came back with at least a B, A or a B. So wow. I love it. I love it. We've got nothing to whinge about doing a couple of little bits of homeschooling now. Your mum was amazing. <laughs> wow. 
not pass year eight maths though. Yeah. <laughs> We're all good at something different. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, um, yeah, so age 12 you started distance ed and then fast forwarded another six years later you went to your first youth Olymp- Olympics in Innsbruck, Austria. Fill us in on what happened between those 2006 and 2012. Was it a lot of where did you do your sort of training and your progressing to be identified for youth Olympics? Um, So that's when I started. That was my first season over in Austria, really spending six months of the year overseas. And then obviously, when you are skiing in Australia as well, that, you know, you can't go to school because you're up at the mound up at Falls Creek or or Hotham as well. And that's why it just got to the point where I was, if I did want to ski and pursue, pursue that dream, that I was just, it wasn't possible to go to normal school because I was missing too many days in person um so the distance schooling looked like a really good option for me and um yes I was based in Austria and at the time so in the there's international children's races so through the Australian children's race series you can qualify for international races and then I'd go overseas in Europe and go to a number of those throughout the year um, to prepare me really for fist racing, which is open age category racing. And you were the second youngest at the World Champs in 2013, weren't you? Were you? It's a big stage to stand up on. Your five disciplines, that is so many. Majority of the time someone just chooses one discipline. But in the alpine racing, you don't tend to do that, do you? You tend to go across board. So tell us about the five disciplines that you do and kind of explain the difference in the disciplines, if, if that's okay, like your slalom, go for it. <laughs> I guess I was always looking at a long-term projection in the sport. And so for that, I always had a pathway through juniors about not specialising too early. And I wanted to develop my skiing skills by skiing in all five disciplines. So skiing slalom, which is um, our technical discipline, and then giant slalom or GS is um, basically your foundational skiing skills for moving into speed. Um, so you can't actually go in a downhill race until you're 16. So in alpine skiing, all you have to remember is you push out of the start gate and the fastest time wins. Doesn't matter. There's no style points. Doesn't matter how ugly or pretty it looks. It's just purely time. And that's for all the disciplines. And the only difference is it's actually the turn radius. So in slalom, we're making... 10 to 12 metre really fast, quick turns. And that's when you might see the gates coming at people's faces where we're cross-blocking just to make that turn sharper. Whereas Giant Asylum, um, Super G Downhill, there'll be a gate with flags on them um, and that's a higher turn radius. So in GS we're going, or Giant Asylum, we're going top speeds on the World Cups and watching the Olympics will be 60 to 70 kilometers an hour and then watching a super g that's faster again with a bigger turn radius and a longer course so it might be up to three kilometers long now and we're going averaging 100 k's an hour in the super g and then the downhill the fastest event of them all and the blue ribbon no bias but the blue ribbon event obviously (laughs) um Where you know we're reaching basically you know top speeds. It's a, one of the fastest sports um, on earth that's non-motorized. So I've personally gone over 130 kilometers an hour, wow. 
wow. this field champs. So that's the difference. And, I mean, that's why no one under 16 is doing downhill just because of the safety and, you know, you are reaching high speed. And each discipline has different equipment, like different skis. Correct. So, <laughs> yeah, each so how's, your, how's your sponsorship yeah. with skis? <laughs> no. Basically, the be- faster I ski, the better skis I'll get. <laughs> <laughs> Inspiration there. I love it. So how's it feel at 130 k's an hour? And how do you train for that? <laughs> Three kilometres in a tuck. Like you're pretty much like that's a yeah. lot of strength in your legs. Yeah, so the last Olympic downhill or world championships in Cortina this year was 3.8 kilometres long and we're doing that in, you know, one minute 40 seconds. Um, So, yeah, there was a section at world champs this year in Cortina, you sending it between two dolomites and that was, yeah, straight, straight down, almost pretty steep. Pretty steep hill, and yeah, that's where we clocked 130, averaging over 100 k's an hour for the for the whole run. It's a bit like when you drive a car; you don't look out the side window and see how fast you're going. You're looking ahead and focusing on what you need to do. Yeah, mm. yeah, true. And all the time you're on bulletproof snow too. You're not on nice fluffy snow. Yeah. <laughs> you are on yeah. sheet ice, especially in the Dolomites. The Dolomites is like we, we hit this. We did a Celeronda once. And my mum was with us and we were doing really beautiful terrain, lovely, lovely, lovely. Then we came to this drop over. And I remember going, okay, mum, let's just sidestep down for you. <laughs> she's like, she packed up her ski boots and sent them home after that run. So she'd be really, she'd be in awe of you right now. <laughs> I remember that story. She sent her stuff back to Australia. <laughs> she did. Oh um, sorry, we've got a bit carried Sorry. <laughs> People at home, when they are watching the World Cup or watching the Olympics on TV, um, to remember, yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's not natural snow that we're skiing on. They mm-hmm. spend weeks prior to the competition preparing the snow, preparing the surface and making it as icy and hard as possible. So they actually put a lot of water into the snow so it is mm-hmm. icy. How often do you stack? <laughs> Not to you. Try not to. Yeah. <laughs> no, we won't talk about that. <laughs> okay. We'll ask you next year about that. Okay. We're talking alpine racing is like the the kind of, oh, I don't, I don't want to say it because I don't want to diss any other disciplines in the Winter Olympics, but, you know, everyone, the alpine races are, they go fast. They, they're amazing. You know, it's like, it's yeah. the key events. That you, it's like watching the 100 metres in the normal Olympics. You're watching the GS in the Winter Olympics is what I find. How do you feel when you make top 10? Like, because you're up there with the best in the world. You, you were in training. You're against the Austrians, the Swiss, the US, and we are here, little Australian mountains, and you are doing us proud. Like, that is got to be a great feeling for you. Yeah, I guess my yeah my real highlight was the first time after my in my first Olympics in Sochi 2014 to get to sit in the leaders box at my first competition and place 15th in the super combined was amazing. That you know that feeling to be mixing it up there with with big names and these girls I'd idolised growing up. Um, yeah, yeah, really, really cool. Yeah, because all the money the money is thrown in racing on the world stage. I mean, yeah, I mean, in, it, it's the Formula One of, of skiing, really. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, big sponsorship money overseas and, you know, big broadcast and you walk into any pub or, or um, you know, Acre ski in Europe through December till March and there'll be Alpine skiing on the TV. You know, every weekend we're at a new venue racing. Yeah. Mm. And who who do you have as your, who manages you? 
so I'm pretty much self-managed with myself and my dad. We organize my training program and and yeah, basically where I'm going and and opportunities I I can have. And so it's pretty much been the two of us for the last ten years on the road. Um, so it's pretty tough out there competing against the Europeans. Um, but I'm yeah. really happy this season to to step up and um, bring on a coach for the first time this season, leading into my third Olympics. Oh. Wow. So who's your coach? Um, so Scotty Sanderson, the local from Nurtleford's coming on board. Um, we've worked together at a couple of events in the past. So, yeah, I'm really excited to have a full season with a coach. It'll be really great to, you know, see what I can do. Yeah. Yeah, that is amazing. You've made two other Olympics and world champions before without a coach. Like that is credit to you, like determination. Where do you drive? Where does that drive come from? Oh, <laughs> Just skiing, I guess, yeah, I, I just love skiing and I think, you know, that's what I say to anyone. You've got to have, you know, it doesn't have to be skiing. It can be whatever you're doing but you've got to have passion for what you're doing and I think everything else, if you keep working hard and, and you, yeah, you have to believe in yourself, it everything will fall into place and, yeah, you've got to keep going. I mean, everyone fails at some point but it's just that ability to keep going and, and um, yeah, push push through, and and opportunities definitely will come your way, and people will be willing to help you if you you're, you're putting sorry if you're putting in the hard work. Yeah. Do you have um like I know when I was growing up, and I haven't been in, in near any Olympics, but we used to call it the killer instinct, where you actually in your mind you just for the duration of your events, you actually really feel a lot of. Like you want to kill them, you want to, you hate them. Do you, if, what kind of feelings do you have to get yourself in that mindset? Yeah. No, I definitely, there's definitely an aspect of it. I think in downhill skiing, it is, a, it is part of like freeing your natural instinct going that fast and, and, you know, we're pulling, you know, three Gs on some turns. So it's, about freeing that instinct to want to slow down and that and letting the ski do your work do the work I really try and focus on myself and my own skiing ability and what I need to do in the run but it's definitely I mean like any sport that of course there's mental games and a mental component of being mentally strong and I I definitely try try and do that and where do you get trained for mental strengths? I mean, where do you look for your inspiration? And I think a lot of experience. I it's definitely changed through injuries. Um, I definitely appreciate everything a lot more and sort of stop and take a think and that kind of reflection. And growing up, I guess you know, just doing you know, at twelve years old, you're not thinking about those things. But my parents were always made sure that, you know, after race, you know, we'd talk about the race or what happened and make sure that I learnt something from it. And so everything, yeah, is about learning and growing and making sure that even, you know, if you had a bad day or whatever, everyone has those. But if you can learn about what happened and, and take that as a as something to learn and change for next time, well, you're going to be better next time. So that's what I always try and do. Mm. You seem to be a very receptive um, person for taking advice from your parents. 
My, uh, <laughs> my children are listening. <laughs> yeah, mine too. <laughs> They're going to hear me back. <laughs> How old are you right now, Greta? 25. 25. Yeah, yeah baby. It's nice. <laughs> baby in my eyes. <laughs> yeah. It's so when you when you take that discipline and you go onto the European circuit, onto your fifth circuit, right? How you're standing at the top of the course. Have you got any courses that you choose not to do now, or you got any courses that you choose to do because of a fear? And how do you get over that fear? I mean, we've talked about the discipline, but you're, alpine racing, mate, there is, you know, we've all caught ourselves going a bit way too fast for what we want to go down a run. <laughs> and, then, and we don't even have to try and make a gate. <laughs> in skiing, I think it's important to have selective risk-taking. So it's not yeah. about just going down and having, you know, absolutely no idea and just, and just taking any risk. It's about, you know, you know, thought out risk taking and yeah I think that's important because you're not you you you're skiing within your ability and that's for anyone even you know going off piste or going in different snow conditions on training days and stuff we're always thinking about the conditions and you know how is is that snow dangerous for injury or is that you know good snow and I just think you know skiing to the conditions and skiing to that is still important Obviously, on any race day, once you get in the start gate, you you know you're going for it and you're putting it all out on the line. But you are risking injury at you know at going at speeds at that. But on training and and you know definitely for people out there skiing, it's important. You know, of course, take risks and have fun, but that they're thought out and and there's a process behind it. Yeah, definitely. Um, on the injury, we note that you have you've been you've had a couple of knee reconstruct. Well. A couple of yeah. a couple. <laughs> explain that I'm actually I had a knee reconstruction seven months ago now so on my ACL my second one so I get it but I'm no Olympian um <laughs> but explain how you've come back to uh readdress the injury yes yeah, so I've had five knee surgeries now on my left knee three ACL recos MCL meniscus did the whole thing um, back in 2015 and then another two since. I think you learn a, you learn a lot about yourself and I definitely, obviously, you know, second one, third one, questioning is this skiing, you know, is this still right for me? Is this what I still want to do? You know, it'd be pretty easy to, to be like, oh, I've been to two Olympics now, like, you know, go to uni, you know, I've been there, done that. But in my heart I know I haven't given the sport my all and I still have a lot more to give and I know I haven't reached my potential I think it's that that's what keeps me going I guess coming back from injury and obviously you have really shitty days as well where you're like cool I'm not even walking I'm on crutches and I'm supposed to be competing in less than seven months yeah Um, less than seven months and it's a 12 month recovery yeah, that was coming oh my, my second Olympics in Pyeongchang. I did my ACL on the test event, so it was one 12 months to the Games and I hadn't qualified yet. So to qualify, I have to race at eight months post oh, ACL. Wow, um, and you did qualify. Yeah, so Amazing. I qualified in December and January prior to the Olympics. Okay, so, we're not going to be able to hear any complaints out of you now, Tanil. I know, I'm kidding myself. It's it's about taking it day by day. I mean, you can't look to in in circumstances like that, you know, 
when things change, mo- moments immediately change at the drop of a hat and you got to be able to just take it day by day and I just made sure, okay, what I did today, I've done my physio exercises, I've done, I've done everything I can today to be better tomorrow and yeah. day by day you get you get better. I think, yeah, if you think too long-term in in big big injuries or accidents, you know, it can be super overwhelming. A bit like trying to do my uni assignments. If you think about the big essay, it's a bit overwhelming. <laughs> think uh, 200 words, not 4,000. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so just go back and say, tell us how you qualify for an Olympics because it's quite a se- sequence. Yeah, so look, each... So this is my Beijing 2022 will be my third Olympics and each games have had a slightly different criteria. Um, so there's the International Olympic Committee criteria and then there's the Australian team criteria and you need to meet both of those um, to be selected on the Australian team. Um, so I'm qualifying through the World Cup comp- World Cup competitions and my um, 15th place at the World Championship. <laughs> so when do you jet off to... Cause- could you ski this year? Did you get to ski in Victoria with all the lockdowns and the? So I've been around. I've been around. I've I've ended up skiing a lot of ski resorts this year with all the lockdowns and everything. I started out in in Falls Creek early season and then had a camp over in Perisher. Um, so I was in Jindy up at Perisher and Threadbow for a couple of weeks, and then was supposed to be over to New Zealand, and then borders closed, and then yeah. New South Wales went into lockdown and then I quickly drove home before that happened and then I was back skiing at Mount Buller and then, yeah, and then I finished off at a spring camp for um, a week back home at Falls Creek. So, yeah, been all over the place this this southern winter. Gosh, yeah, yeah. And do you ever, the, the New Zealand girl, Alice, do you ever see her on the circuit? Have you have you got mates on the circuit or no? Because when I used to train with her over in the, over in New Zealand more oh, five years back now. Um, so, yeah, she's always had super talented skier and, you know, had a lot of team support around her and really projected her onto the World Cup scene and, you know, she's put the work in and she's got the talent and, her results show that. So no, she's she's doing awesome and hope to be up there with her soon. So is it a bit like um when you see when you're watching the Winter Olympics on TV, it I always wonder, is it a bit like the politicians where everyone looks like they're enemies but they're secretly friends behind the scenes? <laughs> well, are you all pals? Or? Are, there's definitely people that are enemies and there's definitely people that are friends. Like it depends on the people and, I mean, it's. I see it as a bit like any work environment. You know, you have people that, you know, you're acquaintances with that you'll say hi to and, you know, there's a mutual, especially on the speed side when we're on the speed tour, there's a mutual respect because you're all getting up there and competing on this course that nobody else in the world could do. You're the best, you know, top 50 in the world. That yeah. I just got goosebumps. Yeah. There's definitely... <laughs> A mutual respect for that. Um, and then like any workplace, you know, you have people that, you know, you work buddies with and people that you don't really talk to. So, okay. yeah. yeah. What do the Europeans, do they ever say anything to you about being an Australian? It must, it must be so fascinating. They're all just surrounded by snow, so much, you know, just the mountain size and everything. And then I guess they have this, their opinion of Australia. 
I think everyone knows it for the Queensland beaches. Not too many people know there's know there's um skiing in Australia. Um, they always think, oh, so you go over to New Zealand to go skiing? And I was like, no, I can ski one hour from my house. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, no one really knows that, you know, how diverse Australia is and, you know, how large Australia is as well. So yeah. 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 What course is your favourite when you go over to Europe? Do you have a favourite or? Oh, I try not to have a favourite because you've got to ski them all. But um, True. Yeah, I good think, call. I think it's, uh, there's definitely Lake Louise has a pretty special place. It's so beautiful. That's an awesome stop on the World Cup tour. We get to stay in the um, Chateau. Oh, what? So it's, yeah, it's like one of the best, the best stop on the World Cup tour. Um, and I also really love, I haven't skied, raced in Val World Cup yet, but that's, I really hope to do that this season. And that's got a special place for me as well. Is it hard to um, nutritionally prepare when you're traveling? Because how do you do it? Do you take your own stuff? Yeah, no, that's a good point. No, it definitely is really difficult overseas. Um, so when we're on tour, staying at the hotels, you basically get whatever's provided to you by the hotel and the organizing um, people. Obviously, you can bring your own stuff, but it's like you're just eating at a restaurant um, every night, you know, like a three-star restaurant hotel um sometimes the food's good sometimes it's hit and miss um and I definitely try like all my snacks so for me on hill when I'm skiing I'm always taking muesli bars bananas and things that I can snack on with me to make sure I'm staying um fueled so they're all the things that I take with me and I'll take you know from home I'll take peanut butter and and breakfast things with me like always have a packet of wheat bix and peanut butter with me um, for breakfast because that's that's definitely probably the most difficult thing you know culturally different overseas when you are traveling is probably the breakfast and obviously it's super important for race day I just get so excited for you but we're only we're not far out from the Olympic Games now where are your warm-up races so I'll be following the speed world cup tour so yeah. I'll fly over to Europe at the end of October and then start my pre-season training in Canada prior to the first world cup in Lake Louise which is really exciting and then from then on, where every weekend we're racing on tour until Christmas, ten day break at Christmas, and then tour kicks off again in Austria, and we're following the tour every weekend up until the Olympics. Wow! And how long are you in Beijing before? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what day I'm racing. All I know is the opening ceremonies on the fourth. Yeah! Wow. Is that is that common for is that common for Olympic Games or is it just kind of the world we're living in now <laughs> that you don't know what day? <laughs> I did look up like for Pyeongchang and stuff, but I for me it's like so far away. So many things can happen. Like so, in terms of the COVID situation, it's going to be such a different Olympic Games than what I experienced in you know Sochi and Pyeongchang, going to the opening ceremonies and the Australian team ceremonies um so no one's too sure what's happening about any of that so that's why I haven't even Mm. looked at when I'm going or anything so I think it'll I'm just leaving it up to the officials to organize and it's kind of uh it seems like the fine art of preparing mentally emotionally physically nutritionally and everything and also just not knowing yeah the heck's gonna happen next because of this environment we're living it's a you know, a lot of people can't quite deal with uncertainty. 
you know, but I, you know, and then some people thrive. I guess you've just got to, it's part of your training, isn't it? It's, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. You've pretty much got to prepare everything that I can control and do myself and everything else. I'm just trying to chill and just relax because it's going to sort itself out. And, you know, we're still, you know, there's still time and, and, you know, be flexible and, you know, it'll happen. So Yeah, there's no point worrying, is there? It's not like you can. Exactly. So will you come together as a team? Will you come together as an Australian winter team but you won't even have that option this year? I hope so. Yeah. It's so special, like, to have, you know, in the past we've had around 50 athletes, so it's really special to come together and everyone knows each other and it's such such a good vibe and, team environment and I I really love that that's what's so special and unique about the Olympics um Mm. and that's what I really learned going to the youth Olympics that the Olympics isn't like any other competition that you go to it isn't like your world cup or your world championships because you know it is the one time we can get together as winter sport and really have a have an awesome team together. I, I live off I live off the the vibes of the team and, and definitely as you saw in Tokyo, the momentum just keeps rolling. So I yeah. love that. Same. It's it's gonna be exciting. I think Australia's gonna get right behind the Winter Olympics. We need something to bring the country back together. So getting getting back to your your fist competitions, like it's quite incredible that you travel how many countries have you been to in the world doing that? Have you skied every continent? No, not yet. I'm going to have to do Antarctica in my retirement, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not going to be no FIS comp there, I don't think. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, pretty much. I haven't skied Africa. That's the only place I haven't been. Well, there's snow. <laughs> I got invited to the Nat- South African National Championships once, but I didn't, I didn't go. So maybe I've got, to, I've got to do that to go ski all the continents. Well, good luck for it. Uh, uh, we can't wait to watch. And it's, it's, really, so, it's yeah. so nice knowing a bit more about the events now. It's, it's going to be more meaningful. Do you have a favourite event or are we allowed to ask that or are you not planning for anything right now for that? I, I mean, I really love the downhill. I mean, it's there and race that fast is pretty special and, and just the adrenaline. I mean, I love that adrenaline feeling of putting it all, all on the line and when you come down. So that's pretty special. So I hope... Hope everyone at home can get behind the behind the downhill for sure. Mm. Absolutely, we will. Do, I will be. <laughs> how do you deal with your nerves? Take a few deep breaths and trust yourself. And then once you're in, you're in. And go. Don't stop. <laughs> yourself, yeah. How's your suit? How tight is it? Your downhill it's suit? It's very tight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you get to wear like another layer underneath, or is it is it quite insulated? No, it's not warm at all. Um, it depends. So how cold it is. So. I'll normally have a th- one thermal layer underneath of my um, crop top sports bra, but it depends how hot it is. Um, sometimes you'll race with just um, the suit and an undersuit um, or a thermal as well, depending how cold it is. All I know is the two times I've been to China before, it was the coldest I've ever been. It was minus 30 five every day so I'm hoping it's not going to be that cold for the Olympics yeah well what is it February well maybe (laughs) you probably get that at Lake Louise though too far out that's the coldest place I've been on the planet (laughs) we have to ask you um what's your favorite resort to ski at in the world oh I think skiing at home in Australia is really special going up to Falls Creek and 
and being with friends and family is always always special and zipping around the runs at home that I grew up on. Um, but overseas, it would have to be Val d'Isere in France. I just love the French Alps and, you know, you can ski every run, a different run every day and that's really cool. Yeah. And I guess lastly, have you got any good tip that you want to give to the kids and the parents who are looking towards your same path in skiing? I think believe in yourself for sure is the first thing. You've got to believe in yourself and definitely I think an opportunity for sport only comes at one part of your life and, you know, there's so many options now, um, you know, for doing school online, going to academies and, and different things. So if you think, you know, you've got the passion and and you think it's what you want to do, I definitely think, you know, take the risk because, you know, anything can happen. Oh, love it. Love it. That's a great way to finish. Thank you, Greta. Yeah. <laughs> anything can happen. That's amazing. Yeah, it's inspiring for our kids. Really appreciate it and the parents out there. <laughs> Back I, always, I always <laughs> like to hear when, when there's somebody that didn't start out skiing, you know, like the like you, like you did all these sports before. I, I always think that's really cool. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today, Greta. We appreciate it. Good luck. We'll be watching you. Thanks for listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. If you've learned a handy tip or two, then happy days. To catch all our episodes, Subscribe on iTunes. It's free. Head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au for more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snow Life. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share our episodes on your social media.